You're listening to Shep Live with 1FM's Terry Cowley. This week's backstory guest, his name is Jason Giuliani and I suppose in a nutshell we could describe you as a music teacher. Yeah, Mr G. Yeah, the real Mr G. Mr G's room. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Today, Jason, I'm glad that you've got a little bit of a break in your teaching today to be able to come along because um, as I said to you, I really was keen to get you behind the mic because there are so many um, amazing singers and musicians that have come into this studio over the years and so many of them mention you as being a chief inspiration. So well done on all you do for our uh, musical youth. But I think one of the reasons why you can do this so well is because you you were one of those students once, weren't you, at the very school that you teach at? Yeah. And was, you, you were inspired by somebody. I was inspired by a music teacher who arrived at year 10 because I was a, a menace. You could call me <laughs> the person that the teachers didn't want in the room. Yeah. And I remember there was a teacher, beautiful teacher, who was still at the school when I started there, Carol Gemmel. And she was lovely, but she, I was such a brat that she actually set my desk up outside the classroom in the corridor... And so all the other teachers would say, why are you out here, young man? And, and it was just – but and, and I liked her as a teacher. Mm. So imagine the teachers that I didn't like, you know. Um, but, yeah, this teacher came in – I was about year 10. And at year 9, I was ready to be expelled. I sat in the principal's office for a week and I had to write an essay about why I should stay at the school. That was year 9. It was a, it was a tough year. And, and then by year 10, you know, I had no prospects. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I – definitely didn't like school. I wasn't academic and this teacher came in, Davina McClure, and she played a Chopin piece on the piano and I remember her fingers just looked like tarantulas, these spiders, and it was just perfect. And I I was just totally blown away and I just had respect for a teacher. It was like, man, that's awesome. And I remember grabbing my friends and saying, you've got to see this teacher play the piano. And I bet some of your friends were saying, so what? Yeah, exactly. But to me, it was a big deal and and we hit it off. Um, She was probably the first teacher that kind of saw that there was there was a passion there for music for me. Well, it's probably not what she was expecting. She's got this brat That's who right. is probably gonna, possibly going to drop out yeah, exactly. and now he's sitting there enthralled by Chopin. Yeah, she probably had my student profile. <laughs> said, beware. <laughs> Look <laughs> my out name for was this on the kid. fridge <laughs> in the staff room. But, yeah, so – and I probably gave her trouble at the start too, but she did reach me um, and I ended up even doing, like, theory at her house with a couple of the other kids – you know, so I was with the good kids all of a sudden, you know, doing music theory. And, but I remember it was always a struggle because I didn't really connect the dots academically. Like I always struggled even as a, as a primary school kid. So I played up because I had a lot of anxiety about mm. not understanding how to do work, you know. And this is a, a story that just repeated over and over exactly. again, yeah. isn't it? There's a reason why kids act the way they do. There is. And so as a teacher, I've found that I've always make friends, so to speak, with the, the problem kid because I know there's a reason why mm. he plays up or she mm. plays up. Mm. So Often if you can to get deflect that person, attention. Yeah, to deflect attention. So there's nothing worse than sitting in a room feeling like you're hopeless, like you, you don't have the intelligence to deal with it. And so instead of sitting there and crying about it, you play up and you just deflect it and no one would know. But the tragedy is it's not that you're not smart. It's just that you're smart in a different way right. and our education system and just doesn't always way. allow for it, does it? Exactly. So we've come a long way now. Um, that we, we try to teach kids in different ways now. So we, not all kids learn the same way, but back mm. in the 80s, you just do what the teacher says and if you didn't, you're out. 
you know. Yep. And there was no LE Learning Enrichment Centre to kind of deal with the different learning difficulties. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a struggle. But um, that year 10 music teacher changed my life and she told me that you could study music, which I didn't know you could even study music. I, I had no idea about anything. She said, you can go to university and study music. So I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. So going from really terrible grades, hating my teachers and teachers hating me, all of a sudden, I'm like, I've got a plan now. I've got to do well in English. I've got to do well in all my subjects. I'm going to get an enter score and I'm going to go to uni and study music. And, that's, and none of my family were musical. They were very encouraging, but we weren't a musical family. So for me to go to university as the Italian boy, you know, I was meant to do chair number three in the barbershop, you know, <laughs> and it could have been that way and, and it would have been great too. But when, you, when you talk about family business, is that what it was, a barbershop? Yeah, my dad's a barber, Ralph Giuliani. And he works with my brother Tommy, and they've got the barbershop in Maud Street. But yeah, it was probably, you know, we just didn't think about being academic. It was kind of like, well, when you get to year 12 and you need a job, you can just cut hair. Um, but I had this passion, this burning passion for music, and I, I've caught it really young at about four. How so, did you catch it, as you say? Well, my parents had a really good record collection, they had vinyl. Um, and I remember even as a four year old, I was able to just go in and play records. And, like, my parents would trust me to just... Because yeah, records record. were quite delicate, weren't they? That's and right. certainly, like, your, you know, yeah. your stereo, you know, yeah, with the diamond right. the on needle. the stylus. You yeah, you had to kind of put the record on, give it a bit of a wipe, line up the needle, you know, and it had to be right, or the needle would slip off the record. Scratch it, yep. Yeah, so my parents had this great record collection. My dad was into the Rolling Stones. Yep. Um, and um, the things like The Who, and my mum was into The Beatles and... Uh, yeah, my, and my dad was Beach Boys, cr- crazy, and Elvis, and which and is so, why you chose a Beach Boys song. Yeah, to so I chose a Beach Boys song because about four, I was just gravi- I'd gravitated towards the Beach Boys. You know, they kind of took me to another place. Well, they would have taken you to another place if you grew up in Chevron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was all about cars and girls and surf, the beach, <laughs> the beach, and they had a lot of trouble. Like as personally, they had a lot of tragedy. The Beach Boys yes. in their lives, but their music was always really sunny, and it did transport you and that song in particular Sleep John B was a it's a, like a, a folk song from the Bahamas and it was just okay. something about it I could have chosen any Beach Boys song yeah they but, do um, have that that real they do really have that vibe that yeah, surf the vibe like their name suggests don't they yeah and just sitting in the back of usually in the back of the car in the back of the Commodore my dad had the VH Commodore and the big speakers in the back and the music was just always cranked and I remember there was a Beach Boys tape always the tape, on. those tapes yeah, used tape. to go wonky in the sun. Yeah, exactly, the cassette. So, yeah. <laughs> Remember them well, I'm older than you, so. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so we finished school. Yep. Get through with that inspiration. Yeah, got through. Go to uni. Yeah, go to uni. Um, and it wasn't that successful to begin with. Um, my first year at uni, I, I did terribly. You hear, you hear that story a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. a big adjustment, isn't it? It is a big adjustment. Because you're going away from home. Yeah, you're going away from home. I was 17. Um, 17 and a half because I was a young year 12 and when I got there I wanted to play music I still wasn't academic like I did what I did I wanted to go to uni but once I got there you know I was in bands I was in about three or four bands all of all the time um, and I was recording I recorded my first album with a metal band called Hacksaw when I was 19 I had a look at them on YouTube yeah Nick Hacksaw he was my um my ears were a bit sore afterwards yeah so that was um <laughs> that was my first taste of being in a big kind of substantial you know, rock band. Um, they were bordering on metal and I went in for the audition and I played like Hendrix, you know. I was always a Hendrix person. Um, and he said, and had Nick Haxall, the singer, 
loved it. He goes, oh, that's awesome. That's something different. It's kind of got that Metallica kind of... And his friend was a guitar builder. He's like, oh, but it sounds like Hendrix. It's like, well, that's the point. So I was kind of in a metal band, but I had this kind of Hendrixy vibe. And, and we were playing really big gigs, and I got to record, you know, in a real studio, a whole album. And that was a huge learning curve. He was 40, and I was like 18, you know. So he really took me under his wing, and um, I learned a lot about how to construct a guitar solo. He would sing so this solos. Is when you were at uni? This is when I was at uni. Yeah. So I was probably rehearsing two, three nights a week with him and doing gigs every weekend. Um, and I had indie, like, alternative original bands. I had – there was a lot going on. School was the last thing that mm. I wanted to do, really. But you needed to do that But to I needed through. to do it. Yeah. And I got there. The three-year three year course probably took me about six years. It's all right. <laughs> but I did get there, yeah. And uh, you ended up coming to she- back to Shepparton after that. But we will pause on yeah. that. We'll come back to that. Yeah. And we're going to play another song. You chose Van Halen's Jump from yeah. 1984. It's 1984, yeah. Tell me about eight, that one. Eight years old. Again, back of the car, uh, VH Commodore, big speakers. <laughs> Dad's cranked it. Because at the front, the music's not loud. But at the back, I didn't realise it's like a disco. It's like a religious experience that the kids are having. And I think we were on a soccer trip. My dad's a soccer coach. And we are in Albury or something. I've got a vivid memory for these things. It was because it was life changing, and I heard these chords, this, this synthesizer, and it was just went straight through me. And was that a different sound to you at yeah, the time? Yeah, it was different. I'd never heard anything like that. So more know. electronic. Yeah, like we listened to things like Springsteen and and even Prince and you know the Beach Boys, the Shadows, you know all of that stuff, the Rolling Stones. But then this came on, and I was like, Dad, what's this? It's like, oh, it's Van Halen. So a couple of days later, he's bought Van Halen cassette home. But it's the wrong cassette. It's not the one with Jump on it. It's the very first Van Halen. But it had a song called Eruption, which is like the holy grail of guitar, solo guitar playing. And it's all finger tapping. It sounds like rain falling from the sky. It's, it's amazing. And I was about eight. That was probably when I first got into guitar playing. And, um, yeah, I was sold. And, and, again, I was really proud of things. And I remember whenever there was a visitor, I'd have to play Eruption to people. You've got to hear this. And people were like, ah. Oh. You know, but to me, it was. But you mean playing? Amazing. You mean playing the music, not actually playing it on your guitar? I probably just started playing guitar at eight. Wow. wow! And already I was gravitating towards guitar music. I couldn't play guitar very well. Well, fair enough. You're right. I mean, I had and, and I had probably ADHD, and I, I couldn't focus. I couldn't sit still. Me, and my first guitar teacher. I loved him. He had a room full of guitars, but I wasn't very. You're driving him crazy. I was driving him crazy. <laughs> he actually said after one of the lessons to my mum. My mum only said this a few years ago. He said, you're wasting your money. He hasn't got it. You know, it's not going to happen. But she believed in you. Yeah, she said, well, if he enjoys it, yeah. he can keep going. Yeah. And, and you so, did. And I did. And you still are. Yeah, you do. Little Los Lobos with La Bamba, which, of course, was a big hit when that movie came out, I think, in the 80s, La Bamba, yeah, Jason. that was the first song. Well, I started guitar when I was eight, then I quit. It just, you know, I would have been a handful for my teacher. Didn't, nothing connected. And then I reckon I was grade six, and my dad got a relative to come around and give me a few lessons. His name was Rob, Digi- uh, Rob Digilorimo, hard name to say. And his dad, Peter, was also a musician. And they were a musical family, awesome musicians. And Rob was a great band leader. And he came around, gave me a lesson, and he taught me how to play that song. And I was really basic on the guitar before he gave me lessons. And, um, and by just, I was so passionate about that movie as well. You know, and it was like a good when, movie. Yeah, it was when a Richie huge died, hit, wasn't and, it? Mm. You know, it's like Richie. Yeah, it was. I was just like I was. I used to cry even <laughs> yeah. as a, in grade six. Oh, it was a tragedy. Yeah, and I used to love it, and I wanted to learn true that story, song. of course. Yeah, and I I remember practicing hours every night, even in grade six, and I'd actually try to get detention in grade six, <laughs> so I could stay in at lunchtime and draw 
the solo, like actually map out number, like the numbers, the tablature. You're going to give us a little, little yeah, bit well, of a taste. You've got I, your guitar can, so got there. Guitar. Yep. So I probably, I probably can't even play it anymore. But oh, I bet you can. Like, um, <laughs> so I learned that in grade <laughs> six and I was hooked. That yep. was it. Yep. And he taught me the solo, the whole, like, you know, I'll play a bit of the solo. <laughs> went on and on but i learned that going from nothing like just a few chords and i learned the whole lot but were you that hooked. fast yeah that, that fast jeez and because yeah, it, it is fast isn't yeah it? it was a fast solo and i just committed to it it was like something actually clicked yep um and then in year seven i played the song at a school assembly with vince tassoni hello vince if you listen he's a real estate agent now you told me he is um and he got up I and believe. sang just me and him so i played the guitar the intro the solo the whole lot unaccompanied just me and he sang Maybe you need to get the band. Might need to get the band back together. We should, you know. It was great, and he didn't have any lyrics in front of him. He remembered the three Spanish verses. Yeah, it was good. So, we were talking about how you did your Bachelor of Arts in music, and then you came back to Shepparton. Yeah, I came back to Shepparton. In between that, before that, actually, I played. um, So I did ten years in Melbourne, playing as a session musician for Shock Records and Standard Records, and did a whole lot of work. Um, I think there's a song coming up that you're going to play and we'll talk about that later. But I did go through a whole heap of stuff, a whole heap of bands, and then I found myself back in Shep. I was about 28. But before you go on to being back in Shep, you were touring, backing some really big bands there. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. Played on stage with bands like Bon Jovi, Pink, Shaggy. You know, I remember being... Pseudo Echo, that one. Pseudo Echo, yeah, we did... um, Loved them. Used to do um, the Mercury Lounge in Crown Casino. It was a big big room and I remember we did gigs with Shudo Echo there was bands like Taxi Ride there was a whole we did a national tour with Taxi Ride and I remember walking through a crowd well I think we were at um, some massive crowd outdoor gig and walking through and they thought they thought I was in Taxi Ride because <laughs> there was a booklet like can you sign this page it was the Taxi Ride page yeah no worries <laughs> so I just signed it I didn't want to say actually I'm, in, I'm with the other guy Dave Frange the guy we're the band that supported Taxi Ride so tell us about Dave Frange yeah, so Dave Frange, well, at the time, I was probably about 21 and I was living with a guy called Michael Gilberto. He's another local. He I, was know a that, friend. I know the name. Yeah, he's a hairdresser. have got a few Gilbertos who yeah, Gilberto. are involved in one of them. Yeah, there you go. And I was living with Michael and he said he had a client that was recording an album or a demo with Nuno Betancourt from the band Extreme. And Extreme were a band that had the big hit, More, More Than Words. Um, and I'm like, oh, I've got to meet Nuno. You know, he's my hero, more than words. I love that song. And so Michael, Michael um, got into, the, into his appointment book, got the number, rang up Dave and said, hey, I've, I live with this guy. He's a hotshot guitarist or thinks he is. <laughs> and he wants to meet you and meet Nuno. And, and so I got the address of the studio in Richmond. I rocked up, you know, knocked on the door, didn't know them from Bar of Soap and said, hey, I'm Jason. Michael gave me the address, do you mind if I come in? Yeah, yeah, no worries. So I sat in on a few of their recording sessions just watching and I said to Dave, you know, we hit it off and he seemed pretty cool and I said, do you need a live band? And he's like, yeah, here's my, here's my agent's card, you know. You know, as you do, it's like, usually it's like, yeah, we, we rehearse every Tuesdays, but it was like, no, here, call this number, it's my record company. So I had an interview with the record company and um, it just it snowballed from there and we actually didn't get a band together for about a year and a half but I made I was really close with Dave and we started writing songs together 
um, and it ended up being his first album, Wrong Place, Wrong Time, and Oxygen. I think the song you're about to play was kind of a turning point because I we demoed the song and I quit my job to go into the studio and we were in the studio and I actually wasn't getting any time on the guitar because the producer was Richard Pleasance from Boom Crash Opera, who's an amazing guitarist. This guy is just insane on the guitar. And I remember, he, and Richard was playing all the guitar parts and I'd quit my job and I'm sitting there in the studio thinking... Well, what were you doing? Well, I was just sitting there watching. <laughs> and I would turn up every day and it was about the fourth, fifth day in and I said to Dave, and I had a big whinge, I'm like, why am I even here, man? Yeah. You know, I quit my job, you know, Fair what's enough. going on? And I thought Dave would go in the next day and, and say, oh, Richard, this is my guitarist, you know, he's going to play the songs, you know. And Dave didn't say that. Dave said, make yourself relevant, man. Get in there. You know, step up. Plug in. Show him your ideas. And so the next... Back th- on you. Yeah. So the next day I went in and I said, you know, oh, Richard, these are the ideas we came up for Oxygen. And I played the little intro, I think it's something like... um. Which didn't sound like much, but when you put it with the recording, it became the whole song almost. And, and I don't think he was too keen on it. But um, all the guitar parts got sent to America to be mixed, his parts and my parts. And when the mix came back, my guitar parts were the prominent ones. That intro. And it was like, and it kind of gave me confidence. And then from that moment on, it's like, okay, I'm playing on the album. And so it wasn't all for nothing. So I did actually get to play. And that was the first single, and I remember sitting in Dave's um, lounge room waiting for it to be played on Fox FM because it then became high rotation. And it was, I guess, a, a turning point mm. in a musician's life. That was your dream, you know, to have, be on radio. I feel like we should be playing that next, but we're not going to play Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, cool. But uh, I just should uh, let people know in case they've just tuned in who our backstory guest is, just yeah. to remind them. It's a music teacher, musician, Jason Giuliani. He teaches at Notre Dame and has mm-hmm. done a lot of in- interesting things along the way. Now, you were a roadie as well? Yeah, what is What does that really mean? Oh, what does it mean? That's, that's long hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I got to Melbourne, I had a few friends, musicians, and they were working for a company called Gig Power. So the first big concert I worked at, at was U2's Pop Mart. And it was a huge, huge concert that took two weeks to set up. So there was about 80 crew. And they just needed warm bodies, basically. Heartbeat. You know, that was the mantra. It was like, if you've got a, two legs and a pulse, you're right to go. But um, I stayed on for about three or four years at least. And because I had knowledge of music, I ended up actually setting up on stages and, and dealing with the band's actual equipment, you know, setting up guitars and stuff. So you too, Bob Dylan, Boys yeah. to Men. Yeah, Mariah um, Carey. I was going to say, you, you well, set up we, for her and she cancelled? We set her up at the Tennis Centre. So usually you'd get there at 6 in the morning, 6am, the semis would turn up at the side of the um, tennis centre and by about 2pm you're ready to go for the sound check. So 2pm comes around, this is when we knock off and come back at 11 o'clock after the concert and the, uh, the road manager says, Mariah's got a sore throat. <laughs> so we had to pack it all up, put it back in the semis and then we had to drive it all to um, the semis drove to the airport and it was, it was amazing going to the airport and seeing these huge planes with the, you know, the, the back door that you, you, know, you, you can roll all the gear in. It was huge. And we had to get all her gear onto the plane because she was going to do a gig in Sydney or something. And so that was a huge, huge thing. But we were all a bit 
Can bit disappointed. <laughs> yeah. About Mariah. It's kind of like, yeah, typical Mariah. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. Um, all right. Well, we might just pause there. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix, huge. I've got a tattoo of Jimi Hendrix on my arm, actually. Show us. Oh, there he is. Yeah, it's his face. Might have to get a photo of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jimi was massive. Um, after I learnt La Bamba, I knew I could, I could play things, you know, next level. And that's probably when I started with a guitar teacher called John Martinello. And he was a, an amazing guitarist. And probably the first things he showed me was Hey Joe, um, which is not, not what we're going to play, but it was something, we have it. <laughs> something that sounds like this. And then it went into the song. And from there, it was like a simple Hendrix song, but I loved it. And the same thing, driving in the back of the car, I think we were in Melbourne and sitting in the back of a, this kind of time, it was a, a newer Commodore and it had stereo, like we had stereo sound. And we'd just driven into Sydney Road and it was Triple M. And so we still had 1263 SRAM. And we got the Triple M, Sydney Road, and, and it sounded amazing in the back. And Hey Joe came on. And again, I'd never heard anything like Jimi Hendrix. And the same thing, I was probably about 11, 12, and it's like, Dad, what's this? This is amazing. Oh, it's Jimi Hendrix. Same thing. Two days later, he buys me a, a, a Hey Joe, uh, the Jimi Hendrix cassette. And I think it was live at BBC Radio 1. And it was really cool. And, and I just started learning every Hendrix song I could. And I learned pretty much all of his stuff throughout high school. Including All Along the Watch Yeah, now. All Along the Watch Now I teach it to my students. You know? Which is what we're going to play now. And yeah. that's from 1968. Yeah. That was an excellent year, by the way. Yeah. So you've also had quite a bit of involvement in theatre and you are yeah. often uh, seen playing in the orchestra in the, in pit. The pit. Yeah. Yeah, I've done a few shows. Um, started probably 14 years ago when I got to Notra and started, you know, playing in the orchestra pits and then doing some directing for their junior shows. And, and it was probably about three or four years ago I started directing, you know, the senior shows and um, MDing for initial stages, did a few shows there. Musical director, MD, yeah, yeah, yeah musical director. So yeah, I've done heaps of shows, and I really love theatre, you know. And I've been really lucky in my music, you know, career, to have done metal, you know, acoustic, rock, theatre. I've done it. I've pretty much done everything, and I really love all of it, you know. Now, if any of any listeners saw Jesus Christ Superstar last year, the the whole show started with a man coming out onto the scaffolding. Yeah. Uh, with the light shining right down. A very down nervous on man. So, very darkness everywhere, but the light shining right down on this man uh, for the. Hey, can you do that? Oh, do I even remember it? Oh, <laughs> here we go. That was Jason, by the way. Yeah, Something so like that. anyone. Oh, exactly. But it was complete that. darkness, and I remember yeah. standing inside a stage with you, actually. Mm. And we were both saying how nervous we were. And I think one, because I had to walk up some scaffolding in complete darkness. And. The song started in darkness, so I had to have my finger on the right fret before I walked up the stairs because I just have to start. I remember one night, I'm about to walk up the stairs and you can hear the announcement like, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> please turn off your mobile phones. And I've gone to scratch my ear or something and I'm like, oh, I don't know where my frets are. And I'm trying to <laughs> count, feel the frets in the total darkness thinking I'm going to stuff this up and it's the first thing. I'm sure you, you didn't or yeah. the thing is if you did, no one would have no known. No well, unfortunately, we run out of time because we do want to play the David Frange song you talked about, Oxygen, and we will play that as a closing uh, song. 
Thank you so much for coming to talk to us yeah. today, Jason. We could have filled all three hours yeah. of ship life with G- your talking. stories. Yeah. There Thanks, you Terry. were. There you were wondering whether you would. I know. Have I'm so to nervous. <laughs> I've been nervous all week, thinking oh, I'm going to make a total fool myself. Well, uh, far from the case. That that, that would be my job. <laughs> So um, it's been really interesting to hear um, all about your musical journey, but also really interesting to hear about, you know, you as a child mm. and how you had to really come, you know, go through that journey of finding your passion. Yeah. And it, uh, I, I think, you know, you're still in that role, aren't yeah, you? You're still looking for that, for yeah. that kid who is just like that young yeah, Jason and, and yeah, helping exactly. them along, aren't you? Yeah, you just have to, you know, have one person to believe in you and then away you go, you know. You just need to have a passion about something. Well, your story gives me heart as a parent, and I'm sure it will many others. Thank you you again. And we're going to play this David Frange song, Oxygen. Um, Anything to say about this song really quickly, Jason? Yeah, well, I remember um, sitting in Dave, the singer's lounge room, waiting for this song to come on for the first time on radio. You know, our manager said, it's going to be played on Fox FM today. And we got to listen for ages. Yeah, and I said, I got there at 8.30 in the morning, and we we had the radio (laughs) on, and we just waited for it to come on. What time did it come on? I don't know. I think about 11 or okay, something. Okay, you didn't have but to wait too long. It, no, but it was a really surreal moment hearing yourself on, on, radio, on yeah. major radio. All right, thanks again, Jason, and thank you, listener, thanks, for Terry. being part of Shep Life. I'll talk to you next week.